Good morning, church. My name is Chris. I am not one of the pastors at New Hope. I am a guest this morning, and it is a privilege to be here and share with you today. If you haven't already recognized, you will across the course of this sermon, that I am not a Hoosier. I'm a transplant. We come from Alabama, my family and me, and what that basically means is that our college team can beat your professional team, but... <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. We love the Colts, and I know that that's going to get me in a lot of trouble, so... Uh, we are trying to fit in. I have traveled a little bit. I drove through Muncie just this last week on the way to Lima, Ohio, and I'm pretty sure there's some rednecks in Indiana too, so I feel right at home <laughs> in Hoosier land. <laughs> it is a privilege to be with you today. We're going to continue our series on Believe and Live. Believe and live. Looking at the Gospel of John, looking at the signs in John's Gospel, uh, and John tells us at the end, Randy shared this with us a few weeks ago, John tells us at the end the purpose of his letter. He says, these things are written, all of these signs were done, and these things were written so that you may believe that Christ Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And in believing, you may have life, that you may have life in his name. Now, last week, uh, Zach showed us or taught us on, on wine. <laughs> that was an interesting sermon that I'm glad I did not have to give. But he talked to us about how Jesus took the ordinary water. In an ordinary container, a clay pot, a stone jar, and he turned it into wine. He took the ordinary and made it extraordinary. And it is my belief that in that is wrapped up the nugget of the gospel, is that God sees us where we are, as we are. He doesn't demand that we become something that we're not. He meets us where we are, and he takes the ordinary, and by filling us with his presence, by forgiving us, by doing a work in our life that goes to the very marrow of our bones. He transforms us like water to wine. And just as the water that one day was being used to be poured out of those stone jars to wash someone's feet or wash someone's hands, <laughs> now it has become the wine that is served to celebrate a wedding. In the same way, you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, of people filled with His Holy Spirit, as people empowered by the Almighty God of the universe, we're no longer ordinary. We bring something to the party, if you will. What this world is looking for is people filled with the power, the joy, the grace, the love of Almighty God. And that transforms lives, that transforms families, that transforms communities for the glory of God. And I'm going to ask you today, are you ready to step out and live and walk in that level of faith? Because that's the God we serve. He takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary. Today we're going to read about how God takes something that is on the verge of death and gives it life. Again, the heart of the gospel. So join with me in John chapter 4, verse 43. 
Uh, I, I typically read from the ESV, so I have, I have stepped outside of the boundaries of what is normal for New Hope Church, but this is from the English Standard Version, John chapter 4, beginning in verse 43. It says, After the two days had depart, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. Now, this is not the feast at the wedding. That was in Cana of Galilee. It's a different feast, and we'll get there in a minute. <clears throat> Verse 46, So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Several weeks ago, I believe it was Andrea that shared from up here in this very spot, an illustration. She had a balloon and she had an empty soda can and laid it on the table and rubbed the balloon on her pants. And as she got the balloon close to the soda can, who was here? Do you remember what happened? The soda can began to move toward the balloon, right? And I heard one of the most profound things that I've heard in a long time from one of our students, from one of our young people. She said, what is happening? Why is the soda can following the balloon? And someone exclaimed, it's staticking. <laughs> it's staticking. I loved it. So we're going to use that today as we begin to work through this passage because in John's gospel, he does not speak of faith as a fixed thing, as something you possess. Faith is something you exercise. Its noun form just kind of falls away and John has to use a verb form and he chooses the word believe because faith doesn't have a noun form. And unfortunately in English, believe just isn't a strong enough word. And so I want to take the word faith and manipulate it a little bit and turn it into a verb. Now, don't look at me funny. You all do this every day, all the time. There is a company that you're all familiar with called Google. Google was founded in September of 1998. I know this because that's the day, that's the month and year I got married. <laughs> So all great things started in September of 98. 
Google's not that old, and yet we have turned a name of a company, which is basically a search engine on the internet, we have taken the name of this company and turned it into a verb, haven't we? If you need to go get on the internet and search something, you're going to Google it. That's right. Now, we can conjugate the verb. I Google, she Googles, he Googles. Yesterday, I Googled. If we were all searching the internet right now, we're all Googling. Tomorrow, we will have Googled. <laughs> we will Google in the future. We can conjugate that verb. We can do this. And so what I want to challenge us today is as we talk about exercising faith or believing, let's just say faithing. <laughs> and so today I'm going to ask you, how are you doing in your faithing? Before we jump into the story I just read, we need to, we need to back up. The Bible is a narrative, and it always is so hard for me to preach from one passage and stay right there because it's a bigger story, and we're pulling one little piece out of the story. So we need to back up just a little bit, and I want to begin. Let's follow Jesus. Where was he going? What was he doing? What was happening when this happened? And it's important to note what John is trying to tell us. In John chapter 1, Although we know he gave us the purpose for his letter in John chapter 20, that I'm going to tell you these things so you'll believe and believing in Jesus, you'll have life. But in John chapter 1, he does something the other gospel writers did not do. He comes out of the gate showing all his cards, laying it all out on the table, and he's saying, this Jesus that I'm about to tell you about, yeah, he's God. I just want you to know that from the very beginning. So he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Everything that was created, yeah, he did it. And then he put on a skin suit, and he came and walked with us. <laughs> he became incarnate and came and walked with us. And he says in verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. But in verse 12, he says, those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And he goes on to say that those who are born into that family, they're not born just of flesh and blood. They're not born by the will of man. You're not born into the kingdom of God based solely upon your decision. It is a work of God. And he says it's by the will of God. It is a work of God through the sacrifice of Jesus, through the life-giving presence of the Holy Spirit, that you become a new creation. And he comes right out of the gate saying, this is the Jesus I'm about to tell you about. Don't miss this point. So now let's follow where Jesus goes. He meets up with John the Baptist, the prophet, the forerunner to the Messiah, and he's baptized by him. While he's there in Bethany beyond the Jordan, he, he calls a couple disciples to go with him. And then he continues on his way. After calling, um, after calling a couple disciples, he heads north and goes up towards probably Bethsaida, but he's up in Galilee again. He calls two more disciples. So now he's got four disciples with him. And he's kind of beginning his ministry. Then he comes 
on down just a little bit, a little bit south from where he was and comes to Cana of Galilee. That's the story we saw last week, so I'm not going to rehash that. So we see the water becoming wine, and he's there with his mom and his siblings and four of his disciples. That's kind of the band that Jesus has gathered by now. Then he goes off to Capernaum for a little while and hangs with them for a few days, rests a little bit, but Passover's coming. Now, don't, don't fall asleep on me here. This is where it's going to get... Are you excited about the Word of God? Does it, it fires me up. You'll have to forgive me. <laughs> so they come out of Capernaum to go down to the Passover feast. This is the feast a passage that we just read is talking about. So they come down out of Capernaum. I say down. You always go up to Jerusalem. They were going south, but going up. That's just the way the Bible reads. They were going up to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And Jesus gets there and goes to the temple. <laughs> and what did he see? He saw people in the temple selling sheep and oxen and pigeons. There were money changers with their table set up to change the money of the visitors that were coming to the temple. And Jesus got angry. I know no other way to state it. He got a little bit out of sorts. And he practiced some premeditated violence. Have you ever gotten mad and just flown off the handle and then you go, oh, what just happened? I didn't even realize what I was doing. We've all been there, haven't we? You just get mad and, it's, and you let it out. Jesus looked, he saw, and he took the time to make a whip of cords to inflict a little pain on the people who were doing what he didn't agree with. Now, the Bible doesn't say he hit people with it, but what else do you make a whip of cords for? That's like mom saying, go get a switch so I can wave it. No, mom's going to smack that behind with the switch. Or is that just me? Is that just in Alabama? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so Jesus chases them out and he says, this is my father's house. This is Chris's paraphrase. This is my father's house and you're turning it into a business. That's not what this is here for. Other passages say this is a house of prayer for the nations and you're selling animals and changing money and turning it into a business. Now the Jews, the Jewish leaders, the people who had the law, the people who had the truth, the people who had the power, the people who took care of this temple, who were allowing that to go on, these people came to Jesus and they said, what sign will you show us to do these things? Remember the book of John's about signs. They said, what sign will you show us for what you're doing right now? That's pretty Jewish leader talk for who do you think you are? Throwing people out of our temple. Just who do you think you are? So you've got this first group, and this is important because we're going to have to go fast. So put your seatbelts on, keep your mind engaged. Who do you think you are? These are the most important people in Judaism right now, and they don't understand who Jesus is. They don't like him. He's a challenge to them, and they're fussing at him. What sign are you going to show us to prove that you can do this? Now, after that moment, Jesus goes off and one of their number, one of those Jews, slips out that night and comes to see Jesus by cover of dark. His name is Nicodemus. And he goes, Rabbi or teacher, 
There's something special about you because not just anyone can do those signs and wonders that you're doing. Not just anyone can do that. So you must be from God. What's the dealio? Give me the down low. What's the scoop? And Jesus goes into the greatest expression of the gospel that perhaps we have and starts talking about being born again or being born from above and and talking about the the spirit in the life of someone we even get john three sixteen out of this for whosoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life jesus gives the greatest explanation of the gospel to nicodemus and nicodemus is like what are you talking about? And Jesus says, if you can't understand and believe earthly things, how in the world are you going to understand when I share with you heavenly truths? So the Bible doesn't tell us what happened with Nicodemus, but there wasn't much movement there. He walks off. So first group, we're angry with you. We don't like you. We certainly don't see you as Jesus, as divine, as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the Son of God. Next man is Nicodemus. I can't figure you out. You're kind of cool. I like what you can do. You've got some nice magic tricks, but Jesus, divine, Son of God. Yeah, I'm not there. The next person we see Jesus encounter is the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Now this... You're going to have to forgive me, but she is a contaminated breed. She's a mixed ethnicity, according to the Jews. She's part Jew, part Assyrian. They're just, ugh, people. Not only that, she's female. Oh, my goodness. Not only that, she's had about five husbands, and the woman, she, the man she's living with is not her husband, so she's just kind of like, And there Jesus is having this incredible conversation with her, talking about living water and talking about where we could worship and the difference between Samaritans and Jews. And she's asking him all these questions and Jesus looks at her and he says, hey, um, why don't you call your husband to come on down here and we'll talk some more. And she says, well, I'm I'm not married. He says, yeah, you're right. You've had five husbands and the one you're with right now is not your husband. And she said, if you, if you don't find humor in the Bible, you're just not reading it right. She says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. That's like, somebody thinks he's a prophet. Who did you hear that from? <laughs> sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. And then she goes on to talking about where our fathers say you're supposed to worship, but you Jews say you're supposed to worship over there. And Jesus says, I'm telling you the truth. There's coming a time where we will worship not on this mountain and not in that temple. We'll worship in spirit and truth. Why? Because what do you do at the temple? You go to the temple to give sacrifices for your sin. You go to the temple to meet God. You go to the temple to have a priest mediate on your behalf. And Jesus is saying in his own way to this woman, not going to be necessary because I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am your mediator. I am the perfect sacrifice which takes away the sins of the world. So all you need is me. And so she's getting really kind of freaked out about this. And she says, well, I don't know about all this, but when Messiah comes, he'll tell us the truth. And Jesus looks at her and says, the one who is speaking is he. Now, right at that moment, the disciples come back with their bags of Kroger food, Meyer bags, you know, because they went to town to get some food to eat. And Jesus is there all by himself. And you can't leave Jesus alone. He gets himself into a mess all the time. And they show up with their bags and they're like, "Ah, he's talking to a woman. A Samaritan woman. This is bad. So they just interrupt it. 
Well, the woman takes that as her opportunity to exit stage left. The Bible says she leaves her water jar and goes back to town. She's not trying to escape. She goes back to town and she says, come see the man who told me everything about me. And these are cool words in the scriptures. Can this be the Christ? Can this be the one that we've been waiting on? And the Bible says that many of the Samaritans believed because of her word. And then they go and they see Jesus and they get him to stay two more days. And it says many more believe because of his word. So here we are, Jews. What sign are you going to show me to prove that you're the Messiah? To Nicodemus, you're kind of cool, but yeah, I can't quite figure you out. I know you're not divine. You're not Messiah. To Samaritans, who are those ew people, who are like, no signs, no wonders. It's your word. Because of your word, we believe. And now in the story I just shared with you today that I have a total of about a minute and a half to share... <laughs> This is worse than a Samaritan. He's an official. Now, it doesn't say Roman official, but probably is. Certainly an official serving Rome. Now, that's lower than a snake's belly. And he hears about Jesus, and he shows up where Jesus is and says, Lord, come heal my son. And Jesus looks directly at him and says, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. Now, there's something important in the Greek here that we Southerners have, and the Greek has that maybe proper English doesn't have, that you is plural. So it should say, unless y'all believe, unless y'all see signs, y'all won't believe. And yet he's looking at this man, and the man says, hold my beer. <laughs> I'm sorry if you're translating. That is a very American thing to say. Hold my cup. Watch this. He looks at Jesus again, and he says, what are you doing? Why are we wasting time with all these unless you see signs and wonders? Come on, let's go. You can heal my son. It didn't phase him for a minute. And Jesus, you can just see him looking at him, smiling, saying, go, your son's healed. And the man believed his word and went on his way. No signs, no wonders, just the word of Jesus. That's all he needed. That's all he needed. And he went home and they said, your son is recuperating. When did it happen? Seventh hour. That's when Jesus said the word. And I know that I know that I know that he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the living one. And I want to ask you, how are you doing with your living faith? Because what we're talking about isn't just believe so you can be saved. It's believe so you can live every single day in the grace that flows from Father God through Jesus Christ. When we were in Colombia, there was a lady there whose name was Doris. For reasons I won't have time to get into, uh, um, an armed group killed her husband who was the pastor of a church. They tortured him and they murdered him because he helped someone they didn't like. When I met Doris, she was living in what we would put our lawnmowers in, an eight by 10 foot concrete building with a tin roof with no running water in it. She showered out back with a little plastic pulled around some tree limbs. She used the bathroom in a latrine hole in the ground. She cooked over an open fire. 
because her husband, who was a pastor, did exactly what God called him to do and he lost his life for doing it. Her family saw that God didn't protect her husband and they lost faith in Jesus and they left. But Doris prayed every day, God, show yourself strong. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I am your daughter. No matter what happens in my life, though you slay me, I will serve you. And faithfully for seven years, she continued to serve the Lord, living in that kind of situation while everyone else walked away. We met Doris and through the church and through some help, we were able to, to build a house, a place for her to live that was decent. But the beauty of that was all those people who had walked away from the faith because God couldn't protect her husband, they saw what God was doing because she kept telling them, you watch, my God will provide for my every, every need. He has not forgotten us. He's still with us. And as the church began to respond to her needs, everyone took notice and what a revival we saw. How are you faithing and how is that affecting your life? today. God has a plan. The beautiful thing about the stories we just read from John 1 to John chapter 4 is that we have people from religious people who had it all together to a Samaritan woman that was on her fifth man, sixth man, sorry, to a Roman official that was lower than a snake's belly and Jesus had grace for every one of them. There's no one in this room that Jesus doesn't want to minister to. The revival that's happening in Asbury can be the revival that happens in your heart, in your family, and in this church. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.